I served as a pastor in Troy for some 16 years. God, uh, in his providence, allowed me to serve churches that were in college communities uh, for some 28 years. And a couple of years ago in, uh, in Troy, I met a young, uh, two young men at a gym. And I saw them there. Uh, some of you are looking at me and saying, this guy goes to a gym, you've got to be kidding. Uh, but when you're older, you know, you go to a gym not so that you can be strong and big, but just so that you can move. <laughs> I like to play racquetball, and it requires me going to the gym so that I can even play sports. So anyway, so I, I, I was going to this gym, and I kept seeing these two Arabic guys uh, uh, regularly there. And, and one of them would talk to me a lot, and um, they were both from the Middle East. And this went on for, for a number of weeks. And, uh, and then they invited me to meet them at this Mediterranean restaurant uh, for lunch. And so I thought that would be great. So uh, uh, one of them spoke just excellent English, and the other ones uh, did not speak English. Uh, he was uh, there to learn English. So anyway, so I go to meet them at the lunch, and only one of them shows up. Guess which one? <laughs> yes. The one who could not, I mean, he couldn't speak, he just, he didn't speak broken English. He spoke no English. And I, I, that was the first time I've ever talked with someone through Google Translate, if you've ever done this before. Yes, literally. We, we would use Google Translate. But that began a friendship. And I started uh, giving him a ride to the gym. He didn't have transportation. And, in, and the guy that he was working out with uh, wasn't always, uh, uh, you couldn't rely on him. So I just started picking him up and taking him uh, to the gym and working out with him. And this guy knew all about the gym and working out, which was great for me. I would just follow him along, and whatever he would do, I would do. And, and while we were at the gym, I taught him how to speak English, literally. Um, over the period of days, we would work on vocabulary in between reps, and you know, one day we would work on nouns, and one day we would work on verbs, and then we got to where we could speak broken English, and then we, and, and this is how he... he uh, uh, learn to speak English. And, and uh, I got to know this uh, young man really well, and his story was just so, so very amazing. Uh, just what he had experienced in his home country, and, you know, when our military went in and overthrew Saddam, and, and uh, all that happened, his family helped uh, our military. Of course, when our military pulled out, then they uh, were uh, not received so well. And the uh, the suffering that he went through was just hard to imagine. He had been, he'd been beaten, he'd been tortured, electrocuted, stabbed, shot. Um, it was, I just could not believe that he was alive, all that he had been through. And, uh, but my relationship with this young man, uh, through him, I met just so many in the Arabic community in Troy. I think over a period of months, I really got to know most of the Arabic community in Troy because of a conversation that I had with two Arabic guys at the gym. And this led to uh, uh, many uh, friendships uh, in the Arabic community from all over the Middle East, uh, places that we can't easily send missionaries to, and God in his providence have brought them to our campuses and there was a restaurant that they would hang out in. And so I would go there a couple times a week and have these gospel conversations with all of these Muslims. Some very intense discussions 
uh, about the Lord. And this was all because I had befriended a young Arabic guy at the gym. Now, we're still involved in his life. He, uh, he's practically a part of our family. Uh, he now would consider himself a half a Christian. A half a Christian. Um, actually, when he told us that, he said, I am a half a chicken. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like <laughs> so nobody, you're a full chicken. But, you're, but I think he meant to say Christian. You know, so, you know, he's trying to reconcile the Christianity with, uh, uh, with Islam. And, uh, and yet, you know, the Lord uses his people uh, to draw others to himself. And you see in the scriptures God's love for the nations. Even from the very beginning, you see that, that the gospel is for the nations. When God calls Abram in Genesis, uh, this is so clear. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And we know from the New Testament that he's talking about Christ, who is going to be a blessing to the nations. In Galatians, Three, and the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abram. To Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then we, we come to the end of the Bible in, in the book of Revelation. And it's so clear that God has drawn the nations to himself. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. You know, so God's heart is for the nations. God's love for the nations is clear from beginning to end. And when we look at the Great Commission, the last words that Jesus said to his disciples, and you know, this was just right after Jesus had been crucified. Uh, his disciples had, had lost hope. They were in hiding when he appears to them. And then over a period of 40 days, there are multiple appearances where uh, Jesus Jesus makes them known uh, truly who he is and what he's going to do. And the last time he's with them, uh, he meets them on the mount. And the scriptures record in Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. These are his final words. And notice here that this is not a suggestion. 
I mean, he starts off here in verse 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. In other words, you know, he is the ultimate authority. And he follows that with this instruction to his disciples, which is for his church, which is for us, that we are to make disciples of the nations. We're to make disciples of all nations. We're to make disciples of this nation. Often when we hear these words, we think about going you know, overseas, and it certainly does involve that. But most of you are probably not going to be overseas missionaries. Now, a few of you might. Uh, God could certainly call some of you to go and serve him overseas in that capacity. I've been involved a lot in overseas missions. I've spent time in Russia and Thailand and Bangkok and Peru and Ecuador and Mexico to make a lot of overseas mission trips. Uh, I enjoy cross-cultural missions. Uh, but we're to disciple the nations, and we need to disciple uh, this nation also. This is the mission of the church. It is to make disciples. And we are to be doing this. And it says in this verse how we're to go about doing it. It says we're to go, we're to baptize, and we're to teach. We're to go, we're to baptize, and we are to teach. This is all a part of of making disciples. John Piper uh, defines what a disciple is. He says, he said, it is someone who adheres to the teachings of another. It is a follower or a learner. It refers to someone who takes up the ways of, of someone else. Applied to Jesus, a disciple is someone who learns from him to live like him. Someone who, because of God's awakening grace, conforms his or her words and ways to the words and ways of Jesus. And so, are, here's, here's a question. Are you, are you a disciple? Are your ways being conformed to his ways? Are your words to his words? Are your priorities to his priorities? We are to go, it says. We're to take the initiative. You know, we're to, to go to the nations. We're to go to our community. We're to go for the purpose of making disciples. Why is this important? Why is this important? The scriptures are so clear. The gospel is the solution to man's greatest need. We have many needs, but the gospel is the greatest solution to man's needs. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There is salvation in no one else for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. So Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes without Christ people have no hope the solution to people's greatest need is Jesus Christ and so this is why Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples this is why the mission of the church is to be involved 
and making disciples, to send people abroad, yes, but to make disciples in our community. Do you believe this? Do you believe that without the gospel, people are facing a godless eternity? And some people think, well, you know, that's the responsibility of the, of the staff, and they're well-trained, and they know, they, they, theologically, they, I mean, they can just, they're better at this. That, that's what they need to be doing. And I would say, oh, no, far from it. If you are a Christian, then you are called to be involved in missions. Now, not all in the same ways, but the call to make disciples is given to his church. And so it involves all of us in in different ways. Ephesians says, and he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up to the body of Christ. And so how we participate might be very different, but we are to participate in this process of making disciples. If you look at Jesus' life, you know, so much of the ministry that is recorded in the Gospels are people that he came across just in the normal course of his travels and going places, meeting with people. You know, the, uh, the woman at the well, he enters into a conversation with her and ends up, you know, talking to her about her, her sin and her needs. The demoniac that he runs across when he and the disciples cross the body of water and they get off and there's this demon-possessed man and Jesus addresses this man. It's so much of the ministry, if you read the Gospels, it's Jesus just meeting people's needs that are in front of him. And so, and so this, is, this is how we ought to think as Christians. You know, Who does God have in our sphere of influence? that we can demonstrate the love of Christ to? Who are our neighbors, our co-workers, our friends? People that we enjoy doing activities with. These are the people that we ought to demonstrate the love of Christ to. Some uh, years ago, this young couple moved to our community. They were in the military. They traveled around a lot. They had, they had come to, uh, I think he was getting a master's, and then they would go back and continue uh, with his uh, job in the military. When they moved into our community, an older lady in our church, a widow, made a pot of homemade soup and took it to them and invited them to church. And guess what? They came because she made them a pot of soup and invited them to come. Now, they were Christians, but they would not have come to our church. That, you know... Presbyterians in the South, no. They would have gone to other churches. But because of that, this family got connected to our church. You know, and over a period of time, we had a great impact on their understanding of who God is. You know, that we, we serve a sovereign God. A God who rules over all that he has made. Who directs the course of history. You know, and so we introduced them to the doctrines of grace. And... Uh, they were there with us for some years, and then they left there, and now they're in the military traveling all over the world. This, this little lady in our church had a huge impact on this family by making homemade soup and demonstrating the love of God to them. 
some years ago, this young uh, couple visited our church. And uh, normally, if somebody would come, then I would... Uh, our church was quite small. It was in a smaller community. And, and so I would meet everyone who, who came. I would personally go and visit them. So I met this... I met the husband, this uh, young man, probably in his uh, late 20s, I guess. And when I heard his story, it was really quite amazing. He, uh, he, had, he had dropped out of school when he was in high school in order to work to provide food for his younger siblings because his parents were not working. There were problems in their family. He dropped out of high school and provided for his younger siblings. He never made it back. Uh, to school. And when I met him, I thought, he will never stay in our church. We don't do a good job of, uh, of ministering to people. He will be intimidated by, you know, our church was filled with all these professional people. And sadly, people kind of look for groups where they have people in common. And I thought, he will never stay in our church. And I was wrong. And he told me, he said, you know, we visited several churches in your community and so many people welcomed us before the service and after the service. He said, I looked at my wife before we left and said, this will be our church. Now, why did he do that? Because people in the church just just welcomed them. And so that enabled us to engage them and he was not intimidated at all by anyone. Very, very uh, encouraging. You know, God uses his people. He could have chosen any way he wanted, but he uses his people to draw others to himself. Uh, and so this is what he has called us to do. I met a, a, another young man at, at a gym. Yeah, another gym story. Uh, but uh, I had gone, I had joined this new gym some, some years ago, and and he worked at the gym, and he was one of the personal trainers. And when you joined the gym, uh, these trainers would meet with all the new people and show them um, how to work the machines and all those sorts of things. So I was, you know, I was trying to engage him. He was kind of, uh, he was very reserved, a little bit difficult to, to engage at the beginning. Uh, very good at, at, at being a personal trainer in the gym. Uh, but I got to know him uh, later that week some young men in our church were playing ultimate frisbee. Now, this is not something that I recommend older men to do. I, uh, they talked me into going with them, and, and, uh, and, and they didn't tell me that we were playing with, uh, with a bunch of people from the Mormon church. So we get there, and there are lots of uh, folks from the, the Mormon church there. And this young man that I had met at the gym was on the Mormon's team. And I was really sad about this. And so uh, I went to the gym later, uh, just a few days later, and I see this young man at the gym. And so I go up to him and I said, listen, I need to ask you a question. I said, are you a Mormon? I beat around the bush sometimes. And, and he, said, uh, he said, no, I'm, I'm not a Mormon. I said, well, why were you playing Frisbee with him? And he said, because I like Frisbee. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, I, I thought you were a Mormon. He said, no, I'm a Christian. You know, and, and, and he, uh, he, uh, he was not a Presbyterian. It's hard to find Presbyterians in the South, especially in small towns. There may be a few more in Birmingham, but, 
there, you know, there weren't very many uh, in Troy. And so I began to meet with this guy one day. He asked me, what's a Calvinist? You know, one of these guys at the gym mentioned Calvinism when I asked him. He said he was a Calvinist. I've never heard this term. So I, you know, I, I went and met with him and showed him through John what Jesus said, you know, about the doctrines of grace. And through our friendship, he started coming to our, our church and over time became a deacon. Wow. I met him at the gym. Through him, he had this weight class that people could go to. So I started going to his class uh, so that I could meet people through him. He was a people magnet. All these, everyone seemed to like him. And, and uh, he knew a lot about weightlifting. So I just started going to his class and just meeting young men in his weightlifting class. I was, the, I was, the, I was old enough to be their dad. I couldn't do most of the stuff that they were doing, nor did I try. But I met so many people through this young man. Another guy that I met became a dear friend. He uh, ended up marrying he and his, his wife now. They became members of our church, and he now is a deacon. Now, I met them just by reaching out to them uh, at the gym. You know, if you can talk and be friendly, God can use you. It's not hard. If you can talk and be friendly, and, and there's a lot more involved sometimes in, in talking to people about spiritual things, but, if, but God has chosen to use us to further his kingdom purposes, to draw many to himself. I met this young uh, Chinese guy. I went to, uh, to an ESL class we had uh, for students. A lot of students were, were coming from many countries, and so I went to this class, and I met this Chinese student there, whose English was really good. I was confused while he was there, so, but he was really easy to talk so, to, so every time I went, I would look, look for him, and, and I got to know him, and then I just said, hey, on Wednesday night, our church has supper. You know, why don't you come and have supper with us? And I explained to him what went on, you know, where we just sit around and visit and talk with our friends, and then I will teach something from the Bible, and we'll We'll pray to God about a few things. I just explained everything because I knew he had never been to a church. I said, you are welcome to come. So he came on Wednesday night. All these families in our church began to engage with him over the coming weeks. He would come every week. And then he started coming to church. Why did he come to church? Because he believed in, in the Bible? No. It's because Christians showed a concern for him. They were interested in getting to know him. And he became a really good friend. He, uh, he told me one day, he said, you know, I don't believe in God. But if I did, I would be a Presbyterian. <laughs> yes. I laughed so hard. Now, why did he want to be a Presbyterian? Because these Christians who were Presbyterians uh, loved him. They loved him. Then he left and he went to pursue a master's degree at another school. And every break he would, he would either drive back or fly in. He was from a very wealthy family uh, in China. And so he could kind of come and go. I mean, over Christmas he was in, he was in a, a Iceland with a bunch of his friends. They just flew to Iceland because they'd never been there before. Sadly, I wasn't born in this kind of family. Um, but anyway, he, uh, when I was going to move leave Troy to move to Auburn to work with this new ministry, uh, he called me and he said, I'm going to come and help you move. And I said, oh, no, you don't need to do that. 
said, you've not been home in two years. You need to go home and see your parents. I said, I have plenty of people who can help me pack. And he said, no, my dad told me to go and help you move before I come home. I said, really? He said, yes. And he said, my dad asked me if you wanted me to believe in God. And I told him that, that we talked about God, that you did. And my dad said, you know, I do not believe in God. But if you want to believe in God, it is okay. It's quite amazing. And his dad is the CEO of a big corporation in China that owns a bunch of corporations. You know, and these are the kinds of people that the Lord is bringing to uh, our cities, to our universities. And they're just opportunities that we have to take the gospel to the nations in our own backyard. Do you know how many uh, international students there are in the U.S.? There are, there are close to a million. And these are coming from countries that are very difficult for missionaries to go to. In fact, many of these are from countries that we cannot send traditional missionaries. And if we go there, we are so careful, we cannot aggressively share our faith in their countries. But they come here and we can talk to them about anything. You know, so we have friends with many uh, countries that are close to the gospel. A couple weeks ago, when, uh, I guess a month ago, when we were having trouble with Iran and lobbing missiles at each other, um, I called an Iranian friend that I had and, and said, hey, I know you must be really uncomfortable right now with what's going on between our nations. Let's go to lunch. So we go to lunch. We talk about what's going on, end up having a conversation about what he believes. I could not have that conversation with him so easily in his country. And so God in his providence has literally brought the nations to uh, our cities. And there are many, many students that are in Birmingham uh, at UAB who are from the nations. You know, so when we think about missions, we always think about, you know, going overseas. Uh, you know, recently when, when, um, when the president of China visited the U.S., he spent more time with the family that he knew from when he was a student than he did with our president. Think about that. God has brought the nations to us. And so we need to be intentional about our relationships. Uh, and, and, you know, behind every face uh, is, wow, there's a lot going on in people's lives. I met a young man at the, at the racquetball court, and we just briefly talked for a few minutes. I asked him a couple of questions. I could tell something was going on. I said, hey, let's get together later. I met with him later and realized that there was just a lot of challenges going on in his life. And so I started meeting with him. As a result of that conversation at the racquetball court, he got involved in our church. He's a dear friend some 15 years later. And so, you know, God has called all of us uh, to be a friend to others. The scriptures say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who has through Christ, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. 
and entrusting to us, to you and to me, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are his ambassadors. The scripture says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be, will be saved, but how can they call on him in whom they have not believed, and how can they hear unless one is sent? I, I read a recent survey uh, put out by Barna, and it says... Just as our nation's culture has changed dramatically in the last 30 years, so has the way in which people come to Christ. The weekend church service is no longer the primary mechanism for salvation decisions. Only one out of every 10 believers who make a decision to follow Christ do so in a church setting or service. Personal relationships have become even more important in evangelism with a majority of salvation decisions coming in direct response to an invitation given by a family member or friend. How can they believe in them whom they have not heard? How can they hear unless one is sent? God is sending you into this community. Who who has he providentially placed in your life? Friends? Neighbors? Co-workers? And all you do is just be a friend. Get to know them. Share life with them. And as you share life, you share the gospel. I would encourage you to pray. Pray for, pray for the people that God has placed in your circles. You know, it would be, you know, if, if, if most of us here would begin to pray, just pray, pick five people in your life and begin to pray for them regularly and see what the Lord does. God uses the prayers of his people to accomplish his purposes. He will change your heart about lots of things. You start praying for your enemies and doing good to those who persecute you. See what the Lord does. Uh, learn, you know, learn if you're not comfortable sharing the gospel. Learn. Learn how to do this. It's not hard. Learn to ask good questions. I would challenge you to consider uh, being a friend to an international student in your community. The, the nations are here. You could impact an individual and their family for generations just by demonstrating the love of God. Uh, Know and pray for your missionaries. We appreciate uh, the support you have. We recently moved to Auburn for the purpose of engaging international students full-time. And so this is what we're doing. We we, uh, appreciate your support. We covet your prayers uh, that the Lord uh, would would use us and other Christians there to draw many to himself. The call of the Great Commission is for the church. It is for you and for me. Ask the Lord to use you to reach others. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, for your love for the nations and how you are throughout time drawing a people to yourself. I pray, God, that we as your people would be used mightily of you, that we, would, that we would love those that you have placed around us, that we would be bold in our friendships, or that you would transform the lives of many by the gospel proclaimed. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.